Hey, y'all. Welcome back to part two here on the Monday, August 1st, 2022 edition here on the Chase Simmons podcast. Graham Coffey of Dog Central comes on to talk SEC ceiling tears. Yeah, this is a fun exercise. So everyone from Vanderbilt to Tennessee to Georgia to Alabama, Old Miss, Kentucky, South Carolina, everybody. We went through each team, what their ceiling is this year in the conference and what their ceiling is as a national program uh, going forward. Uh, we talked about all of that here on part two on the Monday, uh, August 1st. I'm going to keep saying July. I can't believe it's already August. August 1st, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you as always for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to this program. We greatly appreciate it. This is a national sports show that covers everything like today where we got NBA and college football and SEC uh, action here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. So, uh, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Make sure you're locked in and liked and subscribed and all that good stuff to our YouTube page. Uh, email the program at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Tweet at me at Chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. All right, part two on a Monday. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello. Welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. Taping this on a Saturday afternoon for this weekend. Uh, I'm very, very excited to do this particular pod with Graham Coffey from Dog Out West. Uh, he is showing a brave face in uh, in lieu of the recruiting issues. Oh, yeah. Downtown issues. <laughs> okay. That's fun. Whatever. No, no longer. I mean, one of the first things I learned, and this was something that um, – Josh Heupel really prioritized when he first got to Tennessee was locking down the borders. And uh, uh-huh. so we had a whole plan <laughs> where we had a coach in Memphis, coach in Nashville, coach in East Tennessee, um, really ensuring that at the very least we locked down the borders. And it's some revolutionary. Folks, it is revolutionary. And it's something that's mm-hmm. obviously paid off um, as Tennessee continues to climb on that regard and really build another strong recruiting class here in year two <laughs> under Heupel. But one of the things that the big dogs can sometimes forget is locking down your borders and really not forgetting about your home state. And look, people are saying that there is a bigger conversation to be had about Kirby Smart uh, overlooking his own players in the state of Georgia, where, look, as a big, big proponent of uh, GHSA Class 7A football in the Uh state of Georgia, Colquitt, Camden, Brookwood, I mean, Dylan Lonergan goes over to Alabama, Justice Haynes, Buford Kid goes to Alabama, Sure. You look at it and you're just like, I I just, I empathize with those kids. And um, does that mean that Sham's going to have a better time at UT than at Georgia because he's going to be wanted more? Absolutely. Oh, but that's, okay. that's, gotcha. that's where we're at, Graham. How are you? I'm well, man. How are you? <laughs> that was good. I felt good. Good, good. I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, it's all I have right know. now with Georgia football is just uh, to create these uh, fake realities and just create uh, recruiting narratives yeah. around the team with the third rank recruiting class or the 2023 cycle. Yeah, but you wouldn't hey. think that they have the third rank class the way that everyone's. I, I mean, I literally had to put out a tweet yesterday that was like, "Hey guys, like it's July, and what we're not gonna do is sit here and slander one Del McGee, the guy mm-hmm. who recruited." Nick Chubb, or I'm sorry, not Chubb, but like DeAndre Swift and a bunch of other five-star running backs and uh, Michael Williams and Mm -hmm. all these other blue-chip prospects at other positions. 
but apparently the only guy that people are happy with now is Todd Hartley. Um, mm. I did get a really good, <laughs> a really good response to that tweet though. Yeah. From a guy and uh, his, what he said was, uh, hold on here. This is why other fan bases make fun of us. Just fielded one of the best defenses ever. Won a natty, had an NFL draft that was basically three days of free recruiting for the world to see. <laughs> and folks are acting like we just lost the Gasparilla Bowl and had to settle for a Sunbelt coach. <laughs> but that's how it should be. That's how you know, like, hey, we're in good shape. I mean, that's, hey, when that's what you're complaining. But it's also like, keep pedal to metal. Like, they won't accept anything less. They're like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here? We need to nip this in the bud. We are now the premier program. Yeah, and I mean, I guess to speak about this in, you know, a realistic sense, like I do think that Georgia people, you finally beat Alabama mm. after so many years of not doing it. And you want to see that reflected on the recruiting trail. And also the cycle after a national title is supposed to be where everything is just cake and you take your pick of all the best players in the country. And the reality is that NIL is – thrown a wrench into that a little bit for Georgia. And, you know, it doesn't always just go that way. I mean, like, look at what happened to LSU coming off their national title in terms of recruiting. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. Uh, Georgia's obviously in a very different place as a program than than LSU was. But still, yeah, I mean, the reality is that when Kirby came in, it was all about Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. And as the the brand of UGA football under smart has grown and become, you know, a, a more recognizable thing. Now you are recruiting guys on, on both coasts and you are in a more national recruiting program. And the problem with that is that sometimes people that live in state, which is your base, don't like it because there's some kid in their hometown or that went to the high school. They, you know, pull forward that their son or daughter goes to, and they think that, he should be a Georgia football player. And if he's not, that tends to ruffle some feathers. But I have been told that, like, you know, there's not some <laughs> giant beef between the Georgia staff and in-state coaches in Georgia. Like, all is but well But could there, there be more on brewing? Because I have the majority of their personal contact information. If I need to shoot over a text of, like, hey, when Alex Golish is back in the building, like, hey, <laughs> I think you're going to want to go more towards uh, that side of things. Like, don't let Kirby sway you back where he's getting some heat thrown at his way for – overlooking your guys don't 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 waver just ride that big orange wave i mean look like i do think also these kids are going to alabama no because it doesn't fit the narrative that i'm crafting for this podcast well it also i think at the end of the day like i i don't know i think i i'm very interested to see the 2024 cycle in georgia because 2024 cycle in Georgia is disgusting. There's a mm. ton of great players. Um, and I'm curious to see if you see a higher percentage of UGA's recruits come from in-state next cycle. I think you will, but I get it. Like I do. I get it at the end of the day. Um, I get where everyone's coming from, but I also think like recruiting is one thing before the season starts. And it's another thing after the season starts. And I do think that if you look at Georgia's pattern over the last four or five years, like we go through this every July where people are like, Oh, Kirby smarts forgotten how to recruit, you know, and then they close with a bunch of flips or, you know, they, they get a bunch of uncommitted prospects. So 
if he doesn't sign his sixth straight top three class nationally, then maybe we can talk about it in December, right? No quarterback in this class, I guess. That is an interesting one for sure. Um, obviously, they went all in on Arch Manning, and it didn't <laughs> work out for them. Uh, I think Kirby learned a lesson from that. Like, there, there's this kid, Julian Sayan, in the 2024 class. Uh, I don't know if everyone's put their attention to 2024 quarterbacks yet. I know that's a lot. I will not. Digest. As someone who has Nico in the building, uh, I'm just going to tell folks that I don't think Tennessee's going to be a big player. In, no, uh, the they will not. Yeah. Nor should they, because Nico yeah. is, I think, probably the best quarterback in the country for this Woo! class. Um, I like it. I do. Yeah, dude. That's six, seven frame. It's impressive. It's fun. I heard somebody fun say uh, the other day where it was like Dante Moore and Nico had the highest ceiling, but Arch and Malachi have the highest floor. So really just, I don't know, like they, uh, we'll see. But like a lot of people, like you're not alone there with Nico being the most talented of the four, yeah. the big four. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at 2024, there's three names that, you know, are kind of maybe the top three right now, three guys mm-hmm. that George is in on one is a kid uh, named Jaden Davis out of Charlotte. Another is a guy named DJ Lagway who is uh, I believe out of Texas. And then mm-hmm. the third is a kid named Julian Sayan out of Carlsbad, California. He's not a uh, St. John Bosco or matter day kid, but mm-hmm. he uh, plays kind of in the, he plays an open division ball in San Diego County. So what does that mean? Kind of, it basically means like they don't have classic classifications out there. It's called mm. the, uh, I think they call it the grape or the, it's either the cactus league or the grapefruit league. I don't know. That's but, the minor uh, league baseball. Do they just jack the minor league baseball? They did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, but like, you know, he is really, really fun to watch. He just yeah. obviously finished his sophomore season, but he completed 72% of his passes as a sophomore in high school, uh, playing against, you know, big boy SoCal football. Uh, and he's not a matter day or Bosco quarterback, which basically means like he's not playing with a bunch of other four and five star kids, like a roster with 30 kids that are going to be D one prospects. Uh, so that's the one that I think Georgia is like, maybe honed in on the most they have mm-hmm. number one on their board. He's supposed to commit sometime this, this season, but they got Jaden Davis on campus right now out of Charlotte. I think Kirby learned his lesson and he's not putting all his eggs in one basket again, but yeah, it will be very interesting to see as crazy as it's going to sound like life after Stetson Bennett is a little unstable looking at the Georgia quarterback room right now. I think Carson Beck has shown some good progress and can be your guy in 2023. But after that, I think all bets are off on just sort of who's going to develop and how. So you think it'd be, it's going to be Carson next year, not one of Brock or Gunner right now. I do. So you're and losing yeah, one of those two guys then in the next year. I think it's Brock. I think Brock. You think leaves. you lose Brock? Mm-hmm, I do. Interesting. Yeah. I think he has, and I want before I say what I'm going to say, I want to be clear. A quarterback, a young quarterback's light can come on at any time. Mm. It could happen tomorrow or it could not. But like, you know, it seems like with these things, they they sort of just click on all of a sudden and they're better. But with Brock, I think you're looking at uh, a guy who just hasn't quite grasped 
that system that Mocken's trying to run yet. And, and it's been a couple years. And then as gifted as he is athletically, because, you know, he does have a big arm and, and he has some, some athletic ability in terms of running the ball. His release coming out was kind of this long loopy motion where he sort of starts the ball at his hip and it, it hmm. does this full 360 thing. And they've worked with him to try to shorten that. And it just hasn't, worked out yet uh hmm. last fall he basically had a case of the yips where like he you know couldn't throw the ball for a little while because i think he was so in his head and then you go watch the tape from the spring game and when he's out under the lights he's reverting back to that long loopy motion which just isn't really built for consistency or getting the ball out on time and so it'll be interesting to see because i i mean he has a lot of physical tools but everything hasn't quite come together there yet it's interesting. Well, as much as I would love to continue to talk about the the absolute mess, and people are saying the absolute mess that is the Georgia quarterback room. Uh, Folks are saying, yeah, under tradition unlike any other. Um, couldn't be my quarterback situation, uh, uh, Graham Coffee. Uh, well, we're going to talk about ceilings, and I want to get your perspective on this because I think this is something that I think a lot of college football fans, if they have this like nailed down, if you have your program ceiling nailed down, you will enjoy college football a lot more. You'll enjoy your Saturdays a lot more if you can nail down your ceilings. Like especially now with realignment and where things are going with NIL and stuff. Like if you really come to terms with ceilings, like that's it's a good place to be. Like you'll be happier. It's just. If you want the NFL, it's right there on Sundays. I love the NFL, but it's a different thing. Everyone can win a title in the NFL. Not everyone can win a title in college football. And it's not what it's about. It's about Saturdays. It's about October. It's about September. It's about November. So before I had, I felt like I needed to have that preface before uh, we dive into these ceilings because we're not trying to be mean, mean-spirited, anything like that. I just think it's imperative that SEC teams, we're an SEC country, a lot of SEC folks t- tapping into this. Um, I want to kind of parse through where you where you're at with the 14 teams and whether or not uh, the ceiling is where it should be. So I was going to go reverse for this season. Yes, for no, not just for the season, for just where the program can be, like what we know about the program now. I mean, you could throw in this whether or not it's reaching the. What their ceiling is as a program based on their resources, based on their geographic location, their de- like the conference makeup where these teams are, like that sort sure. of thing. Um, I think we have to start with one that I think will be a pretty easy one to decipher, which is the Vanderbilt Commodores. I think <laughs> the ceiling yeah. here is, I mean, James Franklin reached it, uh, nine, ten wins for a couple years, and he got out before I think he... Re- I, part of it is just... I think Franklin would probably tell you if we got him on the pod, he would be like, yeah, I mean, that's not sustainable. We would have gone back down to three and nine, four and eight pretty quick. Um, that was a blip. It worked out. And I, I yeah. got it. but I just, that's I mean, not realistic. So what is your ceiling for Vanderbilt as a program? How does a Vanderbilt fan, the healthiest way to view their program in the falls, in the fall? I think if you're a Vanderbilt fan and you're in a spot to compete for bowl eligibility, you should enjoy that a mm. lot. You know, um, especially in the portal era, looking at like your best offensive lineman up and left for Alabama mm-hmm. in, in spring, you know, and it's just it's really, really hard, even when you do get some momentum there to sustain it. And it's damn near impossible to get that momentum. So 
I, I think if you're Vandy, I, I'm interested to see what Clark Lee does because I, I think he's smart and I think he's doing something a little bit different there. And I think he's there for like the long burn, slow build kind of deal. But if he does a good job, someone's going to come and scoop him up. And that's always going to be the issue at Vanderbilt is if you have success, your coach is leaving, you know, probably well, it helps that he's a Vandy season. alum that he might it not does. Well, I mean, I think, but like, it helps these Vandy alum because there's less jobs that he'll leave for, but there's still yeah. jobs that he'll leave for. And like if Marcus Freeman flames out at Notre Dame and Notre Dame comes calling, then yeah. Perfect example. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think your ceiling is bowl eligibility. And I also think it's fair to say like the James Franklin era, you kind of look at the relative strength of the SEC and how top heavy that league was compared mm-hmm. to where it is now. Um and particularly just how bad the SEC East was in that era. It's a little bit different battle that Clark Lee's facing. Well, it's also like there's with divisions going away. I think this is also important. We have to factor this into ceilings going forward because I think it makes it, it's going to make life a lot harder and a lot more (laughs) like the Mizzou's of the world. We'll get to in a second, but like Vandy for sure. It's like, there's no path to them being the number two team ever in a 16 team SEC. That's never happening. You will never compete in the SEC title game. Like you will never. Does that mean you may be able to get like some kind of like, oh, is Vandy going to maybe make a 16 team playoff potentially one year? Maybe. I don't think so. Probably maybe. not. But like if you're the fourth or fifth best team one year in the SEC, like maybe like that's probably the best case scenario is you just get the right quarterback for a couple of years. If like AJ Swan, the four star kid out of Cherokee. If he's a really good player, um, who knows? Like we just saw it with Dave Clawson, right? Like their best. I look at him as like Wake Forest. And I was talking to Chad Bishop, friend of the program, a couple weeks ago about Vandy. And he was like, yeah, like there's Clark Lee is just kind of he's trying to build. Like there's a reason that they're playing Wake this year is that yeah. I think he wants to build a Wake Forest type team. And we just saw Wake go to the ACC title game. Here's the problem. The ACC is significantly weaker and there was way more of a path to making that kind of run. But Sam Hartman well, was on that team. Like, if you have a Sam Hartman, like, uh, you never know. Sure, but Vanderbilt's also not doing anything. Like, what Wake does with those long mesh points yeah. is really unique, and no one does it. And because of the Wakey League scandal, like, however long ago that whole thing was, they don't let anybody come in and study their system. Mm. So. I think Vanderbilt, I mean, they should run the triple or they should do something. Oh, my God. Here's I got so much heat for I wrote a uh, a column on Northwestern running the triple um, a couple weeks ago. Northwestern fans hated that. And I was like, it's either that or the air raid. You have to do something like we're at three years. Like, it's just bad for Pat Fitzgerald. Like, it's bad. You have nothing to lose. This man's been there for, what, 17 years now? Like, he is (laughs) he can do whatever he wants at. Northwestern it doesn't matter like the uh, the defense is going to be good you can experiment like what you're doing this pro style crap like the the Helensky's the Hunter Johnson's you go up and down the list like none of it's worked try something crazy like you will win more games like it just try something crazy like the triple I love that you said that about Vanderbilt because I'm like when when I listen to him talk about building the program and everything else and their system I'm like pro style like AJ Swan pro style and you're looking at it and you're like I don't think this is how you build Vanderbilt back like Vanderbilt like Paul Johnson should be your offensive coordinator. Be like, Paul, how much do you want to live in Nashville for a couple of years? Like, well, what, what and are we like, doing? they could have offered that job to 
Jeff Monken or or you know any of those guys, and I, they probably would have been interested in taking it. Monken, my guy up in Army. Yeah. Well, and you're talking about a guy who's like, all right, you know, Army is one of the four or five jobs in college football where the the admissions standards are even harder than they are at Vanderbilt. Like, mm. find me a guy like that who knows how to kind of work under a system that leaves him in a place where he can't take most of the football players, but right. has created an offense where he can go and, and, you know, run something with hundred and, or, you know, 240 pound offensive linemen and it works fine. Like that's, that's what you need of Andy. Next up Texas A&M who I think I've flipped on the NIL or I flipped on Texas A&M for what their ceiling yeah. is. I think Texas, it's a, Texas ATM. Yeah. Texas ATM. Like it's a different <laughs> world. Like this is not the Dennis Franchoni Texas A&M Aggies. And I think it's a rare one where you see, you don't see programs do this very often. And here, here's the, something that geography and money is really nice to have at your, uh, at, at, at your university in the year of 2022. And Aggieland is in a good spot. Jimbo, I think I, he's just anyone who gets frustrated with Jimbo or that offense or whatever at, at, in College Station. I'm like, this is the best spot you've ever been in as a program. Like, you just you got to let him figure it out. It, it's just you give him whatever you figure it out. Like, Jimbo is the best you're going to do. You are not doing better than Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M anytime. I don't soon. know if I agree with that. Ooh, OK. I think because of what has been demonstrated over the last 12 to 18 months, like Texas A&M has demonstrated that, hey, we will spend damn near any amount of money to win. Mm. I think that's attractive to a lot of coaches. And I think Hmm. Jimbo, this whole recruiting class that they've just had, you know, best, highest rated recruiting class ever. It's a blessing and a curse because the blessing is you have this wonderful roster. The curse is that, like, your clock just got sped up. And Mm. if you don't start doing something with it quick, people are going to get very impatient up there. I think, you know, you give it two years and if they're not like knocking on the door of college football playoff, then he's probably on the hot seat and maybe on the way out, depending on how it all happens. And I think the other thing that is very valid under Jimbo is I get that he won a national title with Jameis at FSU, but the system he runs is really hard for quarterbacks to learn. It takes Hmm. years which isn't really conducive to the portal era where sometimes you have to have a one-year rental or you have guys, you know, coming in and out like Calzada did last year. I think at the end of the day, I mean, they are bottom, one of the bottom 10 to 15 teams in pace in the NCAA Mm -hmm. on offense pretty much every year since he's got there, they've been a hundred or worse in passing explosiveness Like they're not doing some easy things that everyone's doing on offense in college football. And I think that's because like there's this marriage to a system that's maybe a little bit too, too strong at this point. And I think that like Jimbo would be well served to bring in an analyst or, you know, just, just, I mean, he's a good enough offensive mind to assess it himself. And if he really, I think sat down and took an honest look and said, where can we just take advantage of, you know, all the skill talent that just got dropped in my lap? Like, why don't we just run eight to 10 screens a game to, mm-hmm. you know, some of these guys. And I think there's a lot of cheap, easy yards that they could grab that they're not, but yeah, I, I think that their ceiling as a program is, 
it's hard to say it's not a national championship at this point because what do we know? Like we know that if you have a blue chip ratio roster, you can mm-hmm. win a national championship. And we know that they can recruit those types of classes where they have over 50% of their roster composition being a blue chip kid. But I don't know if Jimbo's the guy to do it in the year 2022. I really don't just hmm. because I think that he may be too, too married to what worked nine years ago and, and college football's changed a lot in those nine years. So let's do this ceiling this year for Texas A&M and you've identified going forward. The ceiling is a national championship based on the, the input. Like they should have national title expectations, that fan base. It's fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. I don't think it's mm-hmm. fair this year. Okay. Uh, I think I think the ceiling for them this year is ten wins. I don't. Okay. I mean, they're they're not ready to beat Alabama. I don't know that they're. You know, like I, I think Miami's going to go in there and beat them in week three, just mm. because I I think the defense will be good for A and I just don't think the offense will quite be there yet. Um, and that's kind of been the story since Jimbo got there, right? Which yeah. It's like he's you're an offensive guru, but. It's not the strength of the team, interestingly enough. But yeah, I, like I think that uh, I think that window though that we're talking about is yeah. is finite because we'll talk about LSU in a minute. But it's like Brian Kelly's in your division now, and Nick Saban's not left yet, and all of that. Um, like you better cash this in this class that you just got. Like you better figure it out because yeah other programs are trending in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, next up the Tennessee volunteers, Graham, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to get your ceiling this year on this team and the ceiling as a program right now. Let me pull up Tennessee's schedule one more time. So I, I don't think this, the, the ceiling for Tennessee is national title quite yet as a program, as a program. Hmm. I think that it could be in a couple of years, but like we know that Tennessee can recruit kind of on the fringe of elite. We haven't seen them quite recruit like top five classes. And, but they can be in the blue chip ratio. They can be in the blue chip ratio. I think what we're going to have a conversation about in a few years, maybe two and you're not going to like what I'm about to say is like, there will be a conversation to be had about is like Josh Heupel's offense is the perfect thing for them right now. This whole Mm -hmm. Heupel thing is the perfect thing to take them to the door of nine or 10 wins. We're going to have a conversation in a couple of years of like, is this kind of gimmick, sorry, system that they're running this Baylor sort of like, hurry up, let's try to catch people with their pants down system, holding them back from winning on a truly big stage. Because the anecdote to that offense is elite defensive line play, elite pass rushers, makes everything difficult. We saw that last year when Georgia came to town, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, we did. Like, yeah. And that's not, that's not a discredit to Tennessee. Georgia's defensive line made everyone's life mm-hmm. miserable last season. I'm not like picking on the balls in any sense, but like I, if you go back to Bryles at Baylor and you go look at other guys that have gone through college football and run it, like that's the theme, right? If you have elite corners as well that can cover in man and are long, like 
that creates problems for it too, especially if they are good in press coverage. And the problem for Tennessee is they're playing in the league where more of those things exist than anywhere else in college football, perhaps combined. So, yeah, I, I, I think truthfully, like Danny White hired Josh Heupel knowing that he would stabilize the boat, make some nice repairs, get a new paint, you know, coat of paint on that thing, get it seaworthy. But I think like the guy to captain it into the, the quote unquote promised land where things are feeling like 98 and all that good stuff might be the next guy. Uh, the problem is just, I mean, you had those same fears about Kirby early on where Kirby was like the defense where it's like, is he going to evolve enough offensively for this team to become a national title worthy team? Like there was those concerns early on. I didn't personally, but I, I know people did. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Like when Georgia hired Kirby smart, no one except for Georgia fans saw this. Happen, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like it was. So yeah. Two former not... players, two guys who are experts on one side of the ball and you know, yeah, but I think that like Hypel, what Hypel is doing will have to evolve, and maybe it does. But I think he deserves credit for that maybe uh, being the he thing 100% because hundred percent deserves yeah. credit. And I'm not trying to say he. Well, no, I'm it. saying like he deserves the benefit of the doubt basically for the future. I don't think we necessarily have to get to that CEO type coach in two to three years because I really do think when you look at what Hypel was working with and the lack of scholarship guys and the situation that he was dealt last year, where I think a lot of it, like he was down to just three receivers that he trusted. Like he was like, all right, everybody else is out. <laughs> like we're only running uh, right. with our three with Peyton, um, like Jalen Hyatt, still a highly recruited kid. Like he was just a non-factor. Like he was just not, yeah. hopefully that's not the case this year. And they need that not to be the case this year. But I think part of it was just because of the situation that he was in with this group. And I mean, he played under Bob Stoops. Like he knows what it's like playing with the defensive coach. He still wants this defense. Like there's a reason the emphasis has been on defense, this recruiting class. Like you go in, you get the best player out of Kentucky and Christian Conyers. You get Shandavian Bradley. <laughs> um, you expand. You, we have a bunch of safeties in here with Jack Luttrell and company coming in. Like, he has emphasized the defensive side of the ball. Like he understands that like, this is not sustainable what they were doing last year. And I think the tempo will decrease as things continue to evolve. But I think it was just one of those things where like, if you, we want to get to bowl eligibility, we're going to have to do something very different. And that's like sure. with Josh Job not knowing where he was in the field when uh, Cedric Tillman just skates right on by. And like, that's fun. Like keeps you in these games. But I still think he understands that like an sec big time football. And let me tell you, there's enough Tennessee donors uh, around him at all times where they're like, hey, man, of course. Uh, just a heads up. Like the tempo stuff's not going to fly two to three years from now. Well, and I think like we'll see, right? I just, mm. you know, NIL is helping Tennessee. I think that's okay for us to say. It's yeah. not illegal what they're doing. Um, but I think it's also like people went way too far about that with like the Nico steps. Like, of Nico, course, Nico is not coming yes. here if the offense is not fun. If Hinden Hooker's not telling him good things, if he doesn't sure. have the tracker with Drew Locke, Dylan Gabriel, and company, like, there's a lot more to it than that. There is, but I also think it's fair to say, like, you know, some of these things, I like t Tennessee is doing a better job on the defensive side of the ball recruiting right now than I expected them to. Same uh, here, actually. Yeah. But I just think like the at the end of the day, like I feel like we've seen even when Mac Jones and, and Burrow were were doing their thing, like national titles are 
pretty much one on the line of scrimmage. Sometimes that looks like a extremely good offensive line with a sneaky mobile quarterback that can, you know, create yeah. eight second plays and you got to chase Jamar Chase around. But um, yeah, I think that's the the next step for Tennessee. And like right now, I think their ceiling as a program is, you know, not national title, but I think that it could be in two years. Like, like this I think season, I think Tennessee their ceiling Nico is stuff is not they're in the national title conversation. Cause I think they'll be in the blue chip ratio by so. that point. I think we're, I think 2025 is probably the realistic. We'll year. see. 2024. I mean, I just, I don't think that like, like when Josh Heupel starts signing five-star recruits at defensive tackle and, you know, I mean, Tyree Russ is a big one. Shandavian Bradley might be a five-star by the end of this fall season. Like, guys are moving around. Like, the four or five-star is close. Like, uh, Cam Selden is right I there on the it. bubble. I get yeah. it. It's still, it's still my opinion, though. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, 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 look, this is a back and forth. Like, you're going <laughs> to no, get the most no, pushback on this one for this one. Which is totally fair and expected. Mm. I think – I just think, like, we'll see. I just – That's I fair. Think that the uh, – there's still some things that have to happen. Like, like there's not like a Sam Pittman there, like Kirby had, that's like recruiting like these monsters up front and like bringing in, you know, the best offensive line class. Well, we might have two five star tackles potentially in this class. You might, but Dan Romel looks like he's on his way to Tennessee. And if you end up with Sham and Stan, that's a pretty good spot to be in. It is, but I'm just saying these things take years. It yeah. takes years to build that offensive and defensive line depth. You know, it takes years to build that type of situation where it's like, all right, we're going to rotate on a bunch of four and five star monsters. Well, if you, if you take a gander at the defensive line going into next year, I think you're going to see mostly rotations of four and five star guys. Like, I think that's where we're headed. Like, it's pretty close. But you just don't have the the waves of them that but you even develop like byron young's an nfl player now he was a juco guy like his story is incredible like he's sure yeah so they're developing you're winning a national title yet no not yet 2024 2025 i think is the zone where they'll be in the conversation we'll see i think that we don't know what the playoffs i I think a lot of that is and that's true which i think makes it harder for them truthfully um but I think, like, I'm very curious to see how how Hypel evolves. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's going to be interesting. And I will say this, too. Like, a friend of the program, Conor Gara, who picked uh, Tennessee over uh, Georgia on Paul Feinbaum's show a couple weeks ago. Of course. And then there's a lot of people doing this, though, where, and look, I... I don't think that, like, as someone... There was a lot of people doing it last year. Remember when I came on the show and you but told what did me I that say? Tennessee no. was going to score more than anybody on Georgia. And I was right and... for a while. I was right <laughs> to that point. And what else did I say on that podcast? Did I say we would be winning after the first quarter? I no. said we would be up after the first quarter. I don't remember that, but... You yeah, we can that. play the tape. That was my whole thing of the week. And that was something I was telling Georgia fans all that Saturday. Where I'm like, Tennessee's going to be up. And, like, Georgia's going to adjust. Like, we don't have the bodies. But, like... Tennessee is going to score on Georgia. Like it's just they're going to catch Georgia nap. Like there's going to be some issues. And like, well, and I think this is the, if you're going to catch Georgia, this is the year because of the yeah. secondary reload and inexperience. But 
I we get Alabama at home. There's a possibility they're undefeated with that game uh, third Saturday in October that both teams. You guys might lose to Pittsburgh week two. No, I don't think it's the loss. I think Florida is still the one that I'm just terrified about. Like I have no, No, I think this is the year you beat Florida, but I I think you're going to come off that high. You do have a bye week afterwards, which will help. Mm. It's like, that LSU game in Baton Rouge it's a yeah. very tough to me. Um, Alabama feels like a loss. Uh, Kentucky. I'm beating think, Kentucky. I think you guys will beat Kentucky as well. Mm-hmm. Um, South Carolina scares me at the end of the year. The that's end, what I was going to say. On the road. Yeah. That, the most Tennessee thing possible, and I've told folks, is like we beat Georgia or Alabama this year and then drop the dumbest game possible at Inglaterra to close the year. That's yeah. like that's how this season goes to me, is I think they make progress and beat one of the big two and then just do they lose the dumbest game possible to South Carolina. I mean, I think the other thing that you're underrating a little bit, truthfully, mm. or that not just you, but everyone is when they talk about Tennessee is like, there will be some adjustments that happen after how Tennessee scored some touchdowns on people. Like there will be some, some pretty big, I think shifts in how teams want to defend Tennessee. And yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, next up. That was fun. That was a good exercise. Tennessee Georgia fans are loving this. Um, and it's also better for football. If Tennessee and Georgia are both really good. Like I, think I agree with that. Yeah, I think it's, totally. it's more interesting. Uh, I'll be there in Athens for the, for the battle this fall. Um, South Carolina, speaking of the Gamecocks, they're sealing this year and they're sealing for the future under Shane Beamer. Oh, God, that's a tough one, man. Um, the, the ceiling for South Carolina football is not as high as South Carolina fans want it to be. I agree with this. Um, I think the ceiling for, like... Is it higher or winning, lower than Kentucky's? Because that's what I struggle with. I think it's right in the They're same like ballpark. The same I mean, actually, I don't know. With what Stoops is doing right now, I'd have to say it's lower. Hmm. Um, I think that if a South Carolina head coach is winning seven or eight games in two to three consistent years, like he could go somewhere else and probably compete for national titles, hmm. um, which Shane Beamer might do. And I really like Beamer. I think he's a perfect culture fit for them. And, you know, he's embraced being there. He loves it. Some he Sam Pittman cool. vibes there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just like you look at what you have to recruit against, not just with, you know, Clemson in your own state, but Georgia being where Georgia is now and North Carolina becoming a sneaky good recruiting school under – Mac Brown and, and NC State becoming more relevant and Tennessee right there and so on and so on and so forth. I think that there's their kind of ceiling is like I don't think unless you see a big shift in sort of just the power dynamics of the SEC, and you know, that might happen in five to ten years or whatever. But like right now, I don't think the ceiling is division title for them. Like mm. I think it is, you know eight or nine wins, maybe 10 on an off year with, you know, weird breaks and a good out of conference and a good cross division setup for you. But yeah, I, I don't think it is. South Carolina is never winning a national title in football. Ever. Yes. It's never happened. It's never going to happen. It's just, but I it's will never say, gonna come close to happening. Well, I do wonder like what they look like if Clemson falls, like if Dabo leaves or Clemson. Falls. Well, we've seen it though. I mean, yeah. like Spurrier had a nice I, little bump there. 
Right. Yeah. And Spurrier. But I also think the thing that people forget a lot because they're like, well, Spurrier did it. Spurrier did it. There was a historically like bellwether type of year of in-state talent in South Carolina over a two Hmm. to three year period there. Like there were three times the amount of four and five star prospects in state on average there, you know, than there is on average for two to three years in a row. And that formed the core of those teams with Mm -hmm. Clowney and, you know, all these guys, but that's just not normal. And if you look at, look at where the number one player in the state of South Carolina has gone, you know, over the last like decade, I think like he's gone to Georgia five times and Clemson three times and, you know, North Carolina one. Like, I think it's, it's, it's not South Carolina usually. Um, Hmm. So I like it. Um, Missouri Tigers, where is their ceiling this year? And uh, where is their ceiling going forward? Like as cool as it is to count wins against uh, Tennessee vacated losses uh, as it's been this week, uh, I still think the ceiling might be a little bit lower in Columbia than fans might want. I mean, it's hard because like we did see them come into the conference and win two straight division titles, right? But I think like what they got to sell at that time is very different than what they get to sell now. You know, Mm. you don't get to go on the trail and be like, you're going to blaze the trail of Mizzou into the Southeastern conference. Um, you know, I think nine, nine win Mizzou can happen. Right. Like, I don't know. Mizzou is a place where there's, there's a sneaky good, recruiting base for them just there's always a five star but uh, we appreciate here in tennessee we appreciate and damian bradley uh missouri zone so shout out well i mean like say you know they get to recruit st louis in a way that a lot of teams don't and i mean when Mm -hmm. things are going well like you know luther burden yeah signed there jameson william is is from east st louis like there's a lot of talent that comes out of that area and if they can get the right amount of momentum they can sign it, but the alpha nerd is not the guy to do it. Mm. I don't think Drinkwood says, and I'm not sure if he makes it, you know, I, we'll see how this year goes for him. You know, I don't know that. Mizzou's I just don't know how invested they are. They invest. They're not the enough. most firing this kind of college football yeah. program, but I think depending on how this year goes, he might be on a very hot seat for next year. Um, I think that the ceiling for them this year is, Mizzou's the team I know the least about, truthfully, in the SEC. Like I've I've Mm. spent plenty of time looking at it, and I I can come up with weird ways where they're good, Mm. and come up with them winning two games again, or three games, or four games. You know, I I just I'm I'm struggling with it, but I think their ceiling this year is you know bowl eligibility, seven wins. I would agree. Um, Next up, we've got. Uh, the Ole Miss Rebels, who won 10 games for the first time in school history. You have the Portal King in Lane Kiffin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, th- for me, they're the hardest team to forecast. Both they're stealing this year and they're stealing as a program going forward because you have, I mean, Lane Kiffin at this point is an elite coach. Um, he puts together elite offenses year over year. Um, he hires well. Uh, I think this is a program that is just, there's a lot more upside than Miss State. I think and we could agree on, but yeah. what is their ceiling for you this year following that 10 one year and their ceiling as a program? Is this a potential playoff team? If everything goes right, can they get in the playoff? If it's a four team format, 
No. Mm. I don't think. I don't think so because I mean I think in current the way things are set up currently that basically requires a year where you're going to beat both Alabama and Georgia and I just don't think they can do it. I guess if the chips fell really well and like they were twelve and zero going into an SEC title game or eleven and one going in and and won an SEC title game, you know I think you can catch lightning in a bottle and beat one of those two in a year. Is well, you backdoor it, right? You do the Texas A&M thing where you just <laughs> That's kinda, true. That's you true. finish second. You avoid the, the SEC title game. You, you have finish 11-1. Yes. Your one loss is to Alabama is undefeated. Yep. And then you pray like God that, you know, the East team is not better than you are. Has Correct. A resume. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think, uh, I think their ceiling this year is like – it's hard to say it's not division title just because, like, I don't know what – they have, but I, I think in reality, what's really going to happen for Ole Miss is that they're going to realize Jeff Levy was doing a lot more of the play calling and designing than Lane hmm. Kiffin was. And I think that they are going to take a pretty big step back on defense without DJ Turk, DJ Turk in there. And I think that Ole Miss is going to end up around 500. I could see that too. But it also would not surprise. Like it's weird that Luke Altmaier seems to be winning that quarterback battle with him. Yeah, that's not good news. For yeah, them, if think. I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm not feeling great. Um, well, I don't know. Unless it's just, I mean, Luke Altmaier, I think does have some nice tools, but yeah, that's not. He seems like know. a bottom four SEC quarterback. I don't think so. I think he's good. Hmm. Like I think, I think we'll if see. Luke Altmaier was in the 2020. For, or the 2023 Georgia quarterback room that he would be the starter. Interesting. Okay. Hot take. I, that, there you go. Um, Mississippi State. The Mississippi State Bulldogs. They're sealing this year and they're sealing as a program. A lot of people forget that Will Rogers. Uh, it's very good. Yeah. 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 And and they returned some nice things. Justin Robinson, the Georgia transfer, is going to go off for them this year. Um, you heard it here first, folks. Okay. He made – I have seen tape with my own eyes of him making just like some stupid Randy Moss-style one-handed catches in practice at UGA. Uh, the problem is just the lights – when the lights were on, it just, you know, just never really worked out for him when he was in game moments. But uh, mm-hmm. I think the fresh start will help him out. I think that Mississippi State this year – I always am weary of the the, the year three leech – bump Mm -hmm. um i think their ceiling is the third best team in the sec oh wow like sec as a whole for for this season yeah i i think their ceiling as a program is about that um i think the air raid breaks down when teams have time to prepare for it or just kind of when you play good defensive lines, sort of the same as the Tennessee conversation a little bit. Um, so I like, I don't think they can go even in a 16 team playoff format. If we got there, I, I think they could be a playoff team, but I don't, I don't think that system is conducive to a run. Yeah. But yeah, man, I mean, I, I do think that they might just, just bash folks brains in this year honestly i mean like hmm. unexpectedly not bash in a hard-nosed smash mouth football yeah. sense but 
know what I'm saying? There's going to yeah. be a pain in the ass because like you're there. No one else is really playing like that who who's on their schedule. So it's just going to be an unpleasant right. scenario for them when I mean, Will Rogers comes to town. By all me, like they really should have beat Georgia two years ago on, mm. in the COVID year. I mean, they held them to negative six yards rushing. Um, yeah, I mean, like they had eleven minute drives in that game. I think that's the sneaky thing that people don't really realize about the whole air raid system is they yeah. think like hurry up, hurry up, but really it's a it's a ball control offense. And yep. you know, you frustrate like a, an Alabama or you know maybe not Alabama, but like you play a an A and M right and as slow as A&M plays and you go out there and put up a couple 11 minute drive. Hell, we saw him do it last year. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they're just, they're pain and what they did to Auburn. That was pretty, pretty remarkable. And uh, that Auburn game folks should go back and check to see how that uh, comeback <laughs> came about because that was that preposterous. Was, it was. Um, I agree though. I think they're, the ceiling's pretty high for them this particular year. And then the new face of college football, I think, them being a 16 team playoff participant is absolutely in the cards. It's just running the gauntlet. I don't think that's a, that's I think, a possibility. I think if it's a 16 team playoff that really it's in the cards for any sec program, not named Vanderbilt. Interesting. Uh, I don't, I just probably couldn't put South Carolina. I couldn't maybe put, South Carolina. Yeah. But it's close. Yeah. It's hard because like I, I can I can fathom a world where South Carolina is the fifth best team in the SEC. True. And that might They're on the border. The it's like the Kentuckys, the old misses, the South Carolinas, they would be on the border. It's like the best case scenarios if the SEC got like five. Like I just I think it's really hard to get in that top four because I think we would look at four for sure. And I just don't know if they right. would ever be in that top four. Um as a conference, because remember, if this conference expansions happen, like we're we need to include Oklahoma and Texas in this because they will also be in that category. And I, we're putting Texas and Oklahoma, I think, uh, above those programs in likelihood of making the playoffs in the new SEC. Right? Yes. That also has to be factored in. Um, next up, though, the LSU Tigers. I think we're going to agree that the ceiling is a program uh, when the last three coaches you've had have won national <laughs> yeah. titles. I think the ceiling is uh, national titles. But this year with Brian Kelly, with all the transfers, the three different quarterback options, what is their ceiling this year? I'm really struggling with that question. I've put a lot of thought into it. Um, I What scares me a lot is that they're, an only, they're only a three-point favorite in that opening game against Florida state in mm. New Orleans, which should be worth three or four points anyway. So that means that Vegas sees those teams about equally. Uh, I look at those teams and I see like, I, I think LSU has a, a top three to five defensive line in the country. Mm. And so like, I think that can just wreck the game plan for a lot of the teams they play. Uh, I don't, know if their offensive line is going to be any good. It wasn't any good last year. I think that like they will probably be in some shootout type games, but I I give, I give, it's hard not to give Brian Kelly the benefit of the doubt. Right. Hmm. And so like, I think my position on LSU is if everything goes really, really well, I think they can win like nine to 10 games. That's interesting because if they do well 
right away. Like someone's falling. That's the fun part about the West is everyone's like, oh, if they do this, it's like somebody yeah. has to fall. And I, everyone's just penciled in Auburn as the last place. And I don't have that. I, wrote about I don't have it. I don't see it. Like, I don't think they're going to be that bad. I think there is a, they a, a high floor team. Skill talent. Yeah. Yes. I think they're a high floor team that people like someone's having the season from hell in the West and it's not Auburn. I just don't know who it is. It could be LSU. It could be like a rough, just Jaden's not good. Uh, Miles Brennan's not good. Or you just have to rotate because like injuries, like I could see that. Like I, it just, that's part, maybe the most interesting thing about the new portal stuff is we're going to learn pretty quickly how easy it is, even for the elite coaches to just put together right. an entire new roster and just expect to go. It is. It's going to be very fascinating. Um, next up, we've got the Kentucky Wildcats. They're stealing this year. I think as a program, we would agree that they have no chance of ever winning a national title in football, correct? Right. Yeah. Okay. I think their ceiling as a program is like you go to a nice New Year's Day Bowl in Florida and mm. maybe maybe sneak your way into a New Year's Six one year, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think they're winning a national title. And the, the reason why is because like they they play this like man ball style at the line of scrimmage and you're not ever going to beat Georgia and Alabama doing that. Mm. Like. I think the thing that Heupel does has a better chance of beating Georgia and Alabama because it's different. It doesn't try to go strength on strength with the two strongest teams. Um, yeah, I, I think their ceiling this year is lower than people want it to be. I think losing Wandale Robinson hurts. I think Lee, losing Liam Cohen hurts more than that. Um they lost Kennard on the offensive line. We don't know if Chris Rodriguez is gonna play. Elite skill talent has always been hard to come by at Kentucky, and they just lost a bunch of it. Uh, and they they still, you know, kind of played most games in like the mid twenties last year, anyways. Except for that preposterous. Wandale feels like a myth. Like that, he just should have been more. Wandale just he's Wandale a, set the school record for receiving yards in a season. It just didn't feel like it, Graham. It didn't feel he like he had like fourteen hundred yards. What did he do in the Tennessee game? I don't think he. Maybe that's what I'm just really extrapolating here. It just didn't feel like it to me. I felt like it could have been more. Uh, maybe he was wearing orange. Thirteen hundred thirty-four yards. It was pretty good. Yeah, I was like fourteen hundred. Yeah, I, I mean, he had. I'm sure some some rushing stats too. Yeah, yeah. I think like I think that their ceiling this year is eight wins. Mm. Eight win Kentucky feels... No, we'll say nine win Kentucky just to be safe. But I'm not nine convinced wins. they're going to... I'm not convinced they're going to beat Florida in week two. They're going to start three and one or four and no. And then... See, I think they're losing to Florida. I think Florida loses to Utah at home to open. And that's just yeah. a really tough one to get through. And I don't think Florida start knowing to with Billy Napier. I think they're beating Kentucky. I don't know, buddy. We'll see. Um, yeah, like I think Louisville could beat Kentucky this year as well. I think that they're old friend Keon Evans, sneaky good. Um, we know Georgia's going to beat them. We know Tennessee's going to beat them. Maybe, probably, kind of. I don't know that for sure. Um, I mean, I, I think that like this is not a reflection on Kentucky taking like a massive step back. I think they are taking a step back, but it's, it's just a reflection. I think on the sec East improving. Um, so I'm going to say their ceiling is nine wins in the regular season. There you go. Um, next up we've got 
your Georgia Bulldogs. Some people are saying their ceiling is national title. Um, what is the more interesting thing I think with them is, is sure. their ceiling and to repeat, like Saban's only done it once. Um, yeah, it's significantly more difficult to do this. And Stetson, like, this is something I said, I'm like, I, this isn't even like just being mean, like Stetson had the perfect fairy tale ending. And I just don't think he gets that this year. Like, I just, I think when him coming back, like, I think Georgia fans will be frustrated with him as their lasting memory because I don't think it's going to end with a national title and it might end with like a really rough game because that's in the easiest way to tell someone watch Stetson Bennett is like if he's a game manager or a gunslinger and this man is a gunslinger like that is he is is. 100% Um, and he might flame out like Clemson might just bury him or Ohio State like with Jim Knowles like he has a game from hell like that's a Ohio State's not gonna bury him on defense Um, Jim Knowles he's he's in there now they got some talent returning corners they should be all right uh, yeah but it's not gonna be Ohio State okay I could see Alabama burying him it could be Clemson Ohio State it wouldn't be Clemson either. I don't okay. think. Maybe I don't know. It's. I think the thing that no one really is accounting for is Georgia's offensive line is going to be probably the best. I think that's going to be the best offensive line unit they've had under Kirby Smart, which is saying quite a bit. Hmm. Um, and so I think that they're going to be able to run the ball pretty much when they want on almost everybody in the country until maybe a playoff or SEC Who leads them in carry? scenario. Yeah. Uh, Kenny McIntosh, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I think that he's the number one running back. Um, and I think he'll see some some pretty solid usage in the pass game as well. But Georgia sneakily returns, you know, seven of their top nine pass catchers from last year and adds a, a Reed Gilbert to the whole mix. So it's like they're going to Is it a Reed and not Eric? It's Eric. I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, I no, I was Eric. wondering. I was like, did I get this all wrong? Is it? Yeah, no, I apologize. I should have said, yeah. Um, for I don't know why I was like picturing his name in my head. There's a lot of names, man. There's a yeah. lot. I, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I think they're right now without seeing like I have concerns about who's going to play boundary corner opposite of Keely Ringo. I think that's a big question for them. Um I don't think you're going to have as big a drop off on the defensive line as everyone else does. I think it's important to remember Georgia still has 20 former top 100 recruits on their defense, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty preposterous. And then I think Tresman Marshall is a name at inside linebacker that everyone will know by middle of October. Yeah. Like there's some good things happening there. I think that Stetson, is going to have actually a very good season. And I think it's going to be because like just everything around him is kind of set up for it. Uh, I think that Georgia is going to have to score a little bit more often than they did last year. Like the defense, I think will still be top 10, top 15 nationally, but they're not going to be like, you know, just yeah, crazy dominant. So I think that at the end of the day, the ceiling is, it's hard to say the ceiling's not a repeat national title just because of the talent. You know, they're Are you expecting it. No, no. Why would I expect it? I mean, they do you think most Georgia once. fans will be really upset if they don't repeat? I don't think so. No, okay. I mean, there's always the fringe, but like, I think this is if you're a Georgia fan and you're listening to this, this is your gap year. Like, hmm. just sit back and enjoy it. You know, you just won one. If if you go to another college football playoff, you should be ecstatic. 
mm. and happy. And and it, and you should go to those games and into those games like you know just enjoying the ride because there's no pressure right now. Um, it's all gravy for UGA. And if they do go back to back, then we can all sit here and talk about how you know Nick Saban is still not won a national championship with a 15 game schedule and Kirby smart has done it twice. Oh, yeah. I like it. Flame. So yeah, uh, but I, I think, I think that Georgia's all right. You want to hear my hot, hot, hot take? Yeah, I'm ready. I think that Georgia's going to be so good that someone from their team has to go to New York for the Heisman. Because Who, it's going to be it McIntosh. Who is it? I think it's Stetson Bennett. Oh no, that's not no. That's no, you that's can get Stetson Bennett twenty thousand to one odds on the Heisman Trophy right now. Mm. I mean, that's that's like I'm pretty sure like you know five bucks will bring you back like ten grand. But that's five bucks it's, you could use for a, a local coffee that would bring you more joy. Get a couple. It's not. I mean, like as far Kroger. as long shot odds go, though, like. He's going to be the most visible player on one of the best teams and on the team that's that's on. I don't the think the writers are going to put him there. I don't think there's a respect there. Like, I don't think. He's no, because it's not good. it's not people. It's not like young dudes and analytics guys that like yeah. vote on the Heisman. Correct. Like it's old, old, old media narrative kind of guys. Yes. So I don't know. We'll see. It's just it's a it's my extremely hot take for the season. Interesting. Um, we'll see. That that would be fascinating if he did get the invite. Um, but he would have to put up a bonkers, bonkers year. But if this is the best offensive line in a long time, it's certainly possible. Um, the Florida Gators, I think we would agree the ceiling is national title uh, as this program. They can not right win. now. It isn't. Um, okay. So what? I'll tell the, you why. Okay, what's the case against Florida as a national title ceiling? Because. They've gone about a decade now, you know, really since Meyer left. Um, mm. Or actually, I would say more accurately, since Muschamp left. Like, they are recruiting the leftovers that Alabama and Georgia don't want. You know, mm. nine, eight or nine out of every ten players on their roster didn't get a committable offer from Georgia or Alabama. Hmm. And so you play in a conference where, you know, you got to play Georgia every year and you got to go through Alabama right now, more than likely to get into a 14 playoff. Florida never in their history has had a undefeated regular season. I'm not hmm. even including a conference championship game. So until they do that, I think we can assume they go to Atlanta with one loss. And I just don't think you're beating Florida. I'm sorry, you're beating Alabama with, you know, the guys that they didn't want and Billy Napier's offense because Billy Napier, there was not a market for him as a play caller at, at Clemson. He was mm-hmm. let go from that job. Uh, Louisiana had, when you look at the Delta between what they were recruiting and the rest of the Sun Belt, like the gap between like their recruiting and everyone else around them was like, similar to like Clemson and the ACC, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just a massive difference or Ohio state in the big 10 and still, yes. Like they won Sunbelt titles and all of that, but like it was drudgery to make it happen. And, you know, I mean, they, they averaged, I think a hundred 
or so less yards last year than than Dan Mullen's Florida team did. And points per game, they're they're in the hundreds as well. So I think Florida's in trouble until someone can force Billy Napier to hire an offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I think Florida on a bigger picture is in trouble because they hired Billy Napier and they're freaking Florida. And I think Billy Napier is a good coach, but a lot of the shine came off that hire when all of a sudden you look up and Lincoln Riley has left USC or, you know, he's gone to USC. Brian Kelly has come into the league. Like you're Florida, you know, mm-hmm. like you should be this, the school that's hiring the big name. You shouldn't be, you know, like you should be pulling the coup from another power five school or even a, a blue boat school. But like, I don't think there's the financial commitment to football right now. And I don't like, I don't think that the recruiting apparatus machine for Florida is really figured out right now. Um, they just continue to struggle to recruit in state. And I think the worst news for Florida fans is like, if you look historically, when Miami gets good, you guys get bad. And I don't know how good Miami's going to be under Mario Cristobal. Like, like, I don't know if they'll be national title good, but right now they're winning almost every recruiting war head to head with Florida. And I don't think that bodes well for the Gators in the long run. Interesting. What do you think is the ceiling this year on their wins and where they can go? Um, I mean, the whole Florida thing is really tricky this year because I think uh, there's a lot of like men- just kind of the, the mental aspect of what's going to happen when Utah more than likely comes in there and beats them week one. Like there's a chance they start one and three, hmm. you know, I think there's a, like, I kind of feel like they might set up well against Kentucky this year, hmm. but we don't know. And if they start one and three, we know how that fan base is. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't handle that type of thing. Well, and it's like, they might just like turn on this whole staff and Napier and all of this, like, so kind of dramatically that it struggles for them to ever get momentum, which is not fair to them. But I think their ceiling this year is probably like seven and five. Yeah. And it's also I, just like, it's they hard don't have the pop. Like, they don't have the pop. Like the, the new coach where like Hypo had the pop where it's just like yeah. the offense and everything else. It's like Napier's offense and the way they're going to go about it. It's just not going to be pretty. Right. If you're, if you're going to like Napier was hired because he was a recruiter and yeah, the minds of the administration and he's not recruiting. Well, he's his player average right now is lower than Dan Mullen's best class. And Dan Mullen's best class wasn't very good. Right. And so Mm -hmm. like, I think that's the problem is like, if you're here to bring in talent and you're not, and you don't offer me some sort of like, Oh, he's got this system or that system, whether it's on either side of the ball, then, what value are you really bringing? And so they better turn that thing around on the recruiting trail by this time next year, or he may be two seasons and done in Gainesville. Whew. I like it. This is why we have you on Graham. This, this, these kind of takes, I like this. Um, <laughs> Auburn Tigers. I think they're <sighs> still, I, I think you're not going to put hey. them in as a ceiling. I don't think they're a national championship ceiling as currently constructed to to you. Um. Oh God, yeah, they're not, and that's because like 
I don't know, like the Gus hurry up, no huddle days. That was a. It's just you just don't see like a whole new entire kind of offense that nobody has any sort of playbook to handle come into the SEC. Once Jamie often. Chadwell take, comes into one maybe. of his jobs, maybe that's it. The, I love the speed T. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be sweet. I mm-hmm. like watching them play. Um, yeah, I don't think Auburn is, constru- is currently constructed is a national championship program, but like they can be in two seconds because yeah. the way, you know, we know they're willing to do what it takes. The bag man will <laughs> deliver, mm-hmm. <laughs> take care of it. Uh, they've always recruited Atlanta well. They have a great base there. And at the end of the day, it's like, they'll they'll get it figured out um so yeah i I just think they are a danger of kind of like going into like a a tennessee style period like you guys are sort of coming out of where it's like you're you're rotating coaches so quick that no one can ever get momentum and then kids are like oh is not even gonna play for this guy for four years and it just creates chaos for a little while uh so we'll see what happens but I also think that their ceiling this year is probably higher than most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that there's like, I actually liked Calzada last year. I think he mm-hmm. did some good things. I think Ryan Finley did as well. Uh, we know tank Bigsby is really good. They return probably this, you know, their, their tight end room is probably the second best in the sec behind what Georgia has. I think the question is just like kind of what happens on the line of scrimmage for them a little bit, but I think that they'll be decent enough. I'm not going to be shocked if they win that Penn state game in week three. Um, but like, I'm also not going to be shocked if San Jose state comes in in week two and like puts them in a nail biter. Right. It's just, I think Auburn is really hard to predict this year but i do think like something happened after that whole attempted coup on harson where everybody kind of like hunkered down and the people that are left are are loyal to him and they want to play for him and i think that like chemistry matters on football teams a lot more than than most people want to discuss and i'm not going to be shocked if they like i think they could win nine games if everything went perfectly right a lot of home games a lot of their big games are at home um, yeah, they get LSU at home. I mean, they get Mizzou as Penn their State other crossover. Home. They get Penn State at home. They get Arkansas at home. So, I think it's yeah. I, I'm right there with you. I'm pretty, and they get A and M at home as well. Yeah, I'm pretty bullish on them. I could see it too. Um, I'm right there with you. Uh, but I also think it's like going to run out where I think the recruiting's not there, so they're going to fall out of the blue chip ratio. And then it's yeah. going to be a painful road back because I think Carson's going to kind of get a lot out of this group and he's a good coach in the staff. Like you said, there's buy in there and it's all guys he trusts and wants. But I think it's like a one or two year blip. And then it's like, oh, the recruiting like we're we just finished 25th or 27th right. or 17th for two to three years in a row. Like it's just yeah, it, it's not like sustainable in the SEC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, the final two, Arkansas. I think they're the hardest for me. I think I Arkansas is actually the hardest for me to get big picture ceiling with them. Um, I landed on, I think they're a national title team. I think it's possible with the Pittman 
recruiting era and where they're going, I think it's possible. I think if people are going to talk themselves into like Texas being that, it's a pretty strong base. Like they have, they're, they're moving some NIL stuff. They have some money in Arkansas. They have some resources. They recruit well in the state of Texas, really fertile base. Like I've landed on, I don't think the ceiling this year is that, but like college football playoff team this year, Arkansas would not surprise me. Like I would not be blown away if they won the West would not be blown away. What about you? Oh man. I mean, you know, we've seen them under Bobby Petrino be a a top five preseason team and Mm -hmm. recruit all this talent. But like since that time, I mean, even as good as everything went for them last year, their class was ranked 13th in the SEC. Mm -hmm. So I think that's my struggle. I do think what Kendall Bryles does is really creative and can take advantage of things that other teams can't. Like, I think he can scheme his way out of some of those disadvantages talent wise, but like, I mean, they were 13th in the SEC after all that Papa feel good, Sam Pittman jukebox stuff. So I think that's my struggle for them because as, as well as things are going, I don't know, you know, I mean, Chad Morris actually, I think recruited a little bit better there than Sam Pittman has so far. Um, Hmm. Everyone's just happy and there's a good vibe around the program and things are positive and, and we'll see about those Texas relationships, but right now they're not really like, I, I don't see a path for them at the moment to get back to that kind of blue chip ratio sort of spot. They do have the 12th ranked recruiting class for 2023 right now, but their player average is 88.62, which historically puts them back around where they were last year. So yeah, I I can't call them a national title contender right now. I think they're a playoff contender though, right? Like you would say like if Cincinnati can get in or if like they can backdoor, like people who like Texas A&M has the players to get in. Cincinnati doesn't have to play True. Who are well, what I'm saying is if you're Arkansas and you go 10 and 2 in the regular season, you avoid the SEC title game. You don't think they could find their way in. 10 and 2 in the regular season? Mm-hmm. Not in a four team. Okay. No, yeah. they're not a big enough brand to get the benefit of the doubt as a two loss team. Okay. Uh, someone who I think you might think has the benefit of the doubt as we wrap up here, Graham. Uh, have you heard about this? Have you seen this? The Alabama Crimson Tide? Uh, I think that the ceiling's pretty high on the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, as a program. I think they're okay. Yeah. There's not really much to say for them. Like there's not, right. We know, we know. I think, I think that uh, if you want my, my 2022 Alabama take, it is that uh, I, I would be concerned about the offensive line if I was an Alabama fan. Hmm. Um. I mean, I watched their spring game. I don't know if you did, but like I did they not. literally pulled Will Anderson out of the game in the third quarter after he had like, like <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. He had like 12 sacks. And, wow. You know, they asked Saban about it afterwards and he was like, we don't have anyone who can block him. So we had to pull him out so we could practice and get things done. And, That's you know, I didn't, I didn't see that in Indianapolis. Like mm. I saw, I saw Georgia put their starting left tackle at right guard and bring a, you know, bring a uh, redshirt freshman in mm-hmm. at left tackle and Broderick Jones. 
and I watched him basically make Will Anderson disappear in the second half. So I think that's my concern for Alabama is the same stuff that, that, you know, that's how they ended up in a seven point game with LSU last year. That's how they ended up in that game with Auburn and double overtime or triple overtime or whatever it was. And I think the reality is that they were really, really lucky to get to Atlanta at 11 and one last year. And I, I don't buy some of the defensive hype for them. And it's just because like, I think the ceiling on some of these, like I don't think Henry Toto is getting any better than he was last year. And we know that Henry Toto is a liability in coverage. If you get him matched up on a running back or an athletic tight end, so uh, Ryan Gosling, <laughs> that is very true. I mean, yeah, I think there's, there's some of the stuff that like is getting overlooked a little bit where I'm just not sure on defense. Like I, like I believe in like Will Anderson is a fantastic football player, him and Dallas Turner together coming off either edge is a nightmare to deal with. Uh, I think that wins them 10 games on their schedule on its own. Right. Like there's some of that, but yeah, I, I just think that they aren't really built up front on offense to just like dominate teams anymore. And I also wonder if they were to face the Georgia Bulldogs at any point down the road, like what does it do to your psyche after all these years of kind of being like, we're, you know, we're the top dog in this whole equation. It's not that Georgia beat them last year. It's just, it's the way that Georgia beat them in that fourth quarter where they went on like a a nine minute drive, just like running the ball. Like, I don't know. I had Chris Marler. You probably know Chris from Saturday down South. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember him telling me after that game, he was like, I sat there in front of my TV and I was like, huh, like this is what that feels like, you know, to like watch somebody just like run the clock out on you and like you can't stop it, which is what Bama's done to everybody for, you know, 15 years. I'm not saying that that's what happens next year if Georgia plays them. I'm just saying like, I don't know. It's a little bit different, I think, than like losing to a Clemson or even an Ohio State where it's like, this team's kind of out of our, like, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, we'll see. And I could be like, it might not matter at all. I'm just saying it may at some point and we'll see. Interesting. Well, Graham, that was fun. That was a fun it exercise. Was. That was a yeah. fun exercise. Um, what can the good folks, cause you have a new website since we uh, last. I do. Got, yeah. How did the good yeah. folks check that out and support your uh, dog central? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Please check out dogcentral.com. If you are a Georgia fan, you can come over and uh, subscribe. We've got all sorts of good intel. If you're a Georgia lurker, uh, you can come and subscribe too. We actually are also, if you're just a gambler, we have a, you know, like a 240 page uh, downloadable PDF season preview for you right now. If you are someone who bets over under win totals, uh, so lots of good value out there. Uh, but yeah, you can, you can come in now, you can get six months for $33 and 18 cents and, uh, very good deal, but yeah, we're yeah. having a lot of traffic. It's a new project. Uh, it's not just me over there. There's a mm. lot, it's kind of a collective of, uh, independent UGA content creators. There's about a dozen of us. So lots of content, lots of opinions. You don't just have to listen to, to my, you know, 
my terrible takes. There's other people's terrible takes as well. Yeah, we love a diverse uh, terrible <laughs> take situation. Yeah, the takeies, yes. Yeah, we love that. Uh, Graham, this was a pleasure. Thank you as always. Always a blast. Time. Always enjoy being on with you. Always well, a good time. Same here, my friend. And uh, we will reconnect again sometime soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I need you to come on and talk Tennessee at some point. So yeah, hit me up. I got you. I'll I'm, I'm ready to rile up some feathers and I'm sure you are. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) let's do it. All right, Graham. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Hey y'all. That'll do it for part two here on a Monday, August 1st, 2022 edition here on the chase and most podcast. Thank you as always for making the chase and most podcast part of your daily listen, wherever and however you listen to the chase and most podcast, a daily national sports show here on the blue wire pod network we greatly appreciate you checking out the program and uh sticking with us each and every day uh make sure to check us out on youtube if you'd like to watch this program you can do so at youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe all that good stuff get in touch with me mailbag questions or uh, any questions for our other co-hosts or uh, just any questions about the show or me in general chase thomas podcast at gmail dot com tweet at me at chase underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right uncle derek how'd i do nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah